Welcome back to Cognitive Evolution. I'm Cody Commerce, and this is my show about the personal side of the intellectual journey. Before we get into things today, I just want to say that I'm beginning to build towards some new projects in early 2022. I am coming up on the end of my PhD, and it's uh, it's, it's time for me to develop some concrete plans for my next step. Um, ideally, I'd like to do this. Uh, I'd like to get to the point where with my writing and my podcasting that I can you know, call it a legit next step in my career. And to do that, I kind of need to get to a baseline of making enough money to live on, or at least enough to stave off having to get a real job by the time I graduate. So um, I need to, I mean, I need to at least be in the, the, you know, sight of that by beginning of summer this year. So it's exciting for me, and I've got some projects in the works that I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing. And there's going to be new kinds of content for the pod and a revamped newsletter. And I also have some bigger stuff, which we'll have to see how it shakes out. Anyway, if you've, if you've been a listener on the show, uh, I really appreciate the support you've given me over the last couple years while I've you know done this podcast alongside my PhD. Thank you for sharing part of that journey with me, and please keep an eye out for updates in the new year. Anyway, my guest today is Susanna Harris. I've been a fan of Susanna for a long time, following her on her social media, and she's honestly one of my favorite personalities in science communication, and it's been super impressive and inspiring to watch her grow her platform over the last few years. She recently graduated with her PhD from micro, in microbiology from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And during her time in graduate school, she founded PhD Balance, which seeks to raise awareness about the prevalence of mental health issues in graduate students by sharing stories and building community. She is uh, currently manager of engagement and communications at Zontogeny which is a biotech accelerator, taking seed stage biotech startups and helping them to grow, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, in this conversation, we, we talk a lot about, well, exactly the kind of thing that I'm going through now. I'm, you know, finishing up one's graduate school work and, and making sense of how to take the next step. We start off talking about Susanna's own recent move across the U.S. and her experience graduating during March 2020. It's at this point that I ask Susanna a rather subversive question, and from there we talk about growing as a person during graduate school, Susanna's own story of mental health in uh, her PhD, which motivated her to found PhD Balance, and her strategies for productivity, from hanging out with her dogs to organizing her to-do list. It was a conversation that I really enjoyed and I've been looking forward to for a long time. So without any further ado, here is Susanna So how long have you been living on the West Coast for? So I have been here uh, since July, actually. Um, I finished up my PhD at UNC Chapel Hill in March of 2020. And then I... Um, March of 2020. <laughs> yeah, bad time to... would not recommend that again. Uh, uh, actually, I mean, I don't know if it was the worst thing in the world because I at least was not doing a PhD during the pandemic. Um so that was that was nice, but it was uh, I came out of the PhD with some different plans for what I was going to be doing, and really quickly had to scramble those. And um, I think it turned out 
I don't know if it turned out for the best, but uh, <laughs> it turned out in a really fantastic way. So I finished up in 2020 and then I moved out here to San Francisco just this last July um, because my partner works in San Francisco and he can just walk to the office. So I get the extra bedroom as my office. Best is a really relative term these days. It's sort of like however things work out, you know, like it's that's the best given the circumstances. It's really it's really true. Right. And I'm always, you know, even in regular times, it's like, yeah, don't don't always second guess, you know, learn from learn from your decisions. Think about what maybe you'd want to do differently in the future. But um, even with thinking about people ask a lot, like, are you did you, are you glad you went to grad school? Was going to grad school a good choice? And I'm like, Maybe. Um, I don't know what I would be doing otherwise though. Right. Like, I don't know, maybe I would be super successful somewhere else and really happy and whatever, or maybe I wouldn't, but either way I'm, I'm here now. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Whenever I start asking myself questions, like, am I happy? I, I went to graduate school. I always think about the, the, the line that there are no right and wrong decisions. They're only the decisions you make. And so the counterfactual of whether or not graduate school leads to the best possible life, it's the life that you fucking have now. So yep. it is. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, it's so that's, true. Uh, yeah. Um, was it was it an easy transition to the in in the grand oh, scheme of March 2020 transitions moving uh, across the country? You know, it, yeah, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I I mean. I think putting it in that context is, is really important that it's like, well, it's, it could have been a lot worse. It was kind of, it was a weird time, but actually we got really lucky in some ways. Like we got, we secured a, a rent that is lower than we would have if we moved a year or two before. Um, it's, it was at the, towards the end of the, the peak of the pandemic. I actually love living in the Bay area partially because of how seriously they take COVID. We mm. have like a 96% vaccination rate. Um, and like my gym requires that I be vaccinated anywhere you go out to restaurants, you have to show your vax card. Uh, and so it's, it's difficult to live in a city during all of this because you're like, Oh my gosh, where can I go? I want to go do all the fun events. All the fun events are weird now. It's all outside. But when I was in North Carolina, you definitely have places where people just like, didn't believe that masks even worked, uh, and, and didn't want to get the vaccine. And it was, um, it's a nice switch to come out here and be surrounded by a lot of people who, really for a lot of different reasons understand the importance of human and community health well i would highly recommend not taking any trips to england anytime soon uh <laughs> yeah my brother's then, actually out there oh well so then you then you know yeah because like so i went uh, in march 2020 i went back home to to seattle where i'm originally from and it's the same thing you were describing more people they took their stuff seriously and mm -hmm. it was it was great it was totally appropriate and then when I came back to England in uh, August of 2020, it was just, it, there was no just even pretense thing. And it, back in August 2020, there was this genius scheme in the UK called uh, Eat Out to Help Out, which was to encourage as many people as possible to go to restaurants. Which, Everything about this is bad. Uh, Every piece of this is bad. Except the discounts, which were... Excellent. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, 
But no, I, the good news is that Boris recently recently declared that the the pandemic is effectively over, so uh, we can okay. all go back to living our normal lives. I feel like he has declared something similar a few times now, right? Like this is a he might even have just the same script, <laughs> or or maybe it's just changed from his original. Like it's not real. Yeah. So yeah, no, my brother um, moved from he moved this March from Texas to London and he was like, yeah, it's, I expected it to be way harsher, but it's the opposite. I'm like, wow, it's worse than Texas. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. But no, he's crazy. 25 and healthy. And I'm like, you're going to get other random, but goals. lots of vaccines, lot, no, no masks. Um, uh, though as of today, that actually just changed. It got re-implemented. Now it's, it's compulsory to wear masks indoors again, but, um, but there are a ton of vaccines. So awesome. anyway, Good. The world in 2021, soon to be 2022. Um, oh <laughs> remember when we were all excited about, uh, oh, great, oh, 2020 is finally going to be over. It's 20. Uh, but, um, but anyway, yeah. yeah. So this is, this is kind of a, this is a kind of a weird question. Like maybe mm-hmm. even questionably, uh, questionable appropriateness for like a podcast, but like, how are you doing these days? How are Ooh. you? Wow. I was actually, I was like, Ooh, where are we going with this? And then you went all the way with that. Um, how am I doing? I'm actually, I'm doing pretty well. I, you know, you asked about the transition out here, um, this July and I would say logistically it was pretty fine. Uh, we've got a great place. It, we traveled across the country with our two dogs, packed up everything. Everything went way smoother than it, it could have. But, um, for me, I really, I really like routine. I really, really like kind of the comfort and the safety of my own space. And it took, I mean, I'm still kind of settling into, to living in a city life. So I'm up in kind of the Northern edge of San Francisco. So it's really concrete and it's really loud and there's a bar across the street. And, um, you know, it's an, it's a, a smaller apartment than I was in. It's, just a, a totally different way of life. I grew up in Iowa and then I went to North Carolina for grad school. And so I've never lived in the city and certainly not one like, like San Francisco. Um, so I've been, I've been feeling really thankful for my partner and for my dogs and for my health and and everything else like that. But I think also um, there's uh, I, I came out and had a really hard time, particularly in like August, September, when it wasn't super new anymore, but I was like, nothing is set up. I'm not used to things. I don't have, I don't have my places. I don't have my gym. I don't have my people, my coffee shops. Uh, so I, I, uh, actually, I ended up getting a new psychiatrist out here. I got an accountability coach. I got a therapist, I got a gym. Um, and so I'm starting to really feel more settled in, um, with, with the routine. There's still pieces that I'm like, I don't love this. I don't, I don't love that there's not grass outside and I have to walk my dogs around like a huge amount of area to find a little one by one foot patch of something for them. Uh, But yeah. How about you? Yeah. Overall, um, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good right now. I'm pretty bullish about where I am in my PhD because I'm um, mm. going to be basically finished with writing my dissertation by the end of this year. And uh, I'm in my third year. I just began my third year. And mm-hmm. like in 
England. It's only three years for the program. So I'm feeling like, okay, I'm ahead of schedule. Um, I, uh, uh, I, I was recently listening to your story and you talked sort of how you, uh, 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 you know, failed your qualifying exam. I also failed my qualifying exam or the equivalent Yay. here. So that was January of this year. And now here I am basically like way ahead of schedule. So that's the positive. The, like the thing that, um, is weighing on me these days is that I've begun to feel recently that um like i've stopped improving as a person in a certain way mm-hmm. um and yeah perhaps perhaps it is just sort of obvious what i mean by that but it's sort of like when you're in your early 20s it's like okay there's so much new stuff that you're encountering in the world and uh you're getting exposed to it and you're like you know sort of being like okay well this is you know where i was and here's where i'm now and it's just it like basically i guess you could say for the whole of the pandemic, but this sort of co- coincides with my PhD more generally. I feel like I just haven't gotten that same level of like growth, and I begin to to to, to realize that, and um, I'm I'm sort of kind of mired in that a little bit. Um, that like I'm now producing things like you know dissertation research and all that sort of stuff, but I'm not having that same investment in myself, and so that's sort of mm. weighing on me uh, uh, a little bit here and there, you know. So absolutely. No, I totally, I totally resonate with that. Um, cause yeah, when you start writing up your dissertation, it's, it's creation in some way, but it's, you're usually not learning that much more. And, and especially compared to the start of the PhD. And, um, I was talking to a group of students last night at a class. I got to go give my first in-person lecture since, um, since the pandemic. So that yeah. was fun. Uh, but, but talking to them about how, like, in the last year, I've probably learned more immunology and microbiology than I did in the last year of my PhD, which is in microbiology and immunology. And it's like, because by the time you write a dissertation, you're sort of, you should be the expert or an expert. And so as you're writing it up, you're just finding little citations, but you really shouldn't have those moments of like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> life-changing knowledge. Like, please, that's the worst case scenario where you're writing up and you're like, this I should have known this a year and a half ago, but, um, yeah, it's, it's that weird cycle, right? Where yeah. if you're in the the stages of rapid learning, it's really fun, but it's just constantly like, Oh, I wish I knew that yesterday. I, I, I need to be catching up on things. But then when you're synthesizing, 100%. there is that pullback of like, Oh, I wish I was, I wish I was doing new. I wish this yeah. was new. I wish I was growing and, um, it's weird. No, I part totally of me feels part of me feels like I have an addiction to the new the new idea thing where it's like yeah. I want like that's what I want from idea. I want to be like, whoa, I'm like, oh my God, I never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um and that is like that to me is the most exhilarating feeling in the world. And so I always find myself chasing that, which like from a in principle and like from an identity perspective on who I want to be. Great. I love that. I wouldn't change that for the world. And I'm constantly out there like, you know, like uh, you know, even recently, like I've been getting a lot more uh, out of literature recently, um, which I always struggled to really like feel engaged by by novels. Uh, you know, a while back, you know, I probably wouldn't have. Uh, but now, like I've been counting more and more literature that's really speaking to me. So those are the where I'm getting my sort of life affirming, life changing sort of like uh, kind of insights from these days. But it it makes for <laughs> 
really inappropriate way to go through one's uh, PhD because as you're saying, yeah, when you're writing up the dissertation, it's not about, oh, well, here's a part of the field I never, you know, recognized. <laughs> it's all about, um, you know, uh, trying to uh, situate yourself within what's been done and, and, and like you say, at least coming across as the, the, the expert in that area. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. No, it's one of the things that I learned with my accountability coach was actually that, okay. Have you ever done one of those, the, the strengths exams? I feel like most people have done it like some version of what's your personal strengths, your professional strengths, whatever. I can't say that um, I have, but really, oh my gosh, go do those. You're going to like those. If, if you're feeling like, am I learning? Am I changing? Um, doing some of, I highly recommend doing some sort of regular, like online professional strengths, your personality, like not, not like Myers-Briggs, but, um, more, more deep on, on who you are and what makes you tick and what are your passions? Like, that's part of why I have a, a coach yeah. is that I found them to be really, really helpful in allowing me to be introspective and, and creating that space for me to think about like, what do I really want to do and what have I done? Um, and, but, uh, a word of warning of like, Sometimes I look at my strengths versus the things that I'm not as strong at. And it's like, it feels like a compensation prize. It feels like, wow, what a useful set of skills. I really like, I mean, I think my top two are um, learning new things and storytelling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no one's picking me You're for, for another, I don't know, I guess the pandemic worked out fine because the microbiology background, but you know, if we all need to create our little compounds when the world ends, no one's going to be like, you know what we need? The person who really likes learning things and telling stories or be like, you know what we need? Someone with follow through and like yeah. high executive functioning. Uh, You're either so, a PhD or a preschooler between those two. Uh, those two. It could, it could be either one. You could really... Absolutely. Yeah. It's like half arts and crafts. You're like constantly <laughs> learning. Everyone tells you, you don't know anything, but that's okay. And try to make friends, but some people aren't friendly. It's absolutely. But, um, even just knowing that about myself has, has been really helpful of just respecting like, Hey, I need to be in environments where I know that I am learning. And if I get an environment that I don't either, I need to get out of that environment or I need to actually substantially change it because, I'm actually not going to be a good performer in that space. Like people are going to be disappointed. I'm going to be disappointed. It's not, it's not going to be successful. So um, yeah, strongly recommend people take strengths tests just to learn a little bit more about yourself. There's a ton online that are free. Yeah. No, I think, no, I think I've always like sort of like just sort of not gravitated towards those things. Cause it's not really my, my thing. I like the qualitative assessment rather than the quantitative assessment. Um, yeah. But that could be the kind of thing that it's like, okay, it's, uh, yes, you don't gravitate towards that. That's exactly why you're going to go, um, you know, engage with some of that material wouldn't otherwise would. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I, so there's some of the stuff I want to ask you about is, yeah, along those lines of figuring out what sort of environment you will um, succeed in and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And so I guess one thing I'm curious to know about your sort of trajectory in your path is um so uh, you did your undergrad degree in microbiome it and that was at university of iowa and then it appears um you went straight into your phd or in graduate work and everything uh mm -hmm. in microbiology so it seems like you like microbiology currently work uh for you know another company like you said uh, that you're continuing to learn a lot uh about it 
Um, but so how, what's, can you take me through the path a little bit from like, okay, I'm interested in this subject to like, you know, how you began, began to think about, you know, what you wanted to do with it and how you mm-hmm. decided that, um, the sort of science communication, the, all the stuff that can you, can we start to, you know, go down that path a little bit? Absolutely. So, and I, I really love how you ordered that, which is, is that, um, how did you figure out what you like and how did you figure out what to do with it? Because I think that's actually the biggest piece. And and that has been something that I've sort of naturally engaged in. And now I'm, I'm more intentional in doing, which is saying, okay, what do I enjoy? What gets me excited? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And and by the way, you don't have to fix your weaknesses. Like I'm not good at accounting and I don't need to fix that. And like, I'm not great at negotiating. I probably need to work on it, but there are certain things that you can just sort of farm out to people. Um, And so understanding which pieces of my life and my work and how I am are really exciting to me and really get me going that is now much more strongly the basis for what I, what do I do than what title do I want? What, what should I go into? Um, and so kind of in that lens, when I was in high school, um, you know, there's, there's always the question of, I knew I liked science. I knew I liked biology. And it was just like, these are the classes that I do the best in. I enjoy them. I get excited for this period of the day. Right. Uh, And I wasn't sure what I want to do. I didn't want to be a medical doctor. I didn't really want to be a veterinarian. I didn't want to be the handful of things that if you say, I like science, people say, oh, are you going to do this? Um, And I was in, it was in junior year and I took an AP bio class um, with a woman named Mrs. Bing. And I remember her because it's just like, she, she really inspired the type of thinking that is necessary for science, which is, is just curiosity and the rigor to follow up on it. Um, and we had one or two class periods about microbes. It was about bacteria and viruses. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard about. You mean to tell me this stuff is everywhere around us. It affects our health. It affects what we eat. It actually like creates what we eat in so many ways. Um, and you can play with it, you can study it, you can touch it, but also we know so little about so many of these processes. What a cool thing to play with. Uh, and, and I found out like, hey, uh, you can go get a degree in microbiology. That was just the next step. I was like, okay, I need to go to college. What I wanna study? I wanna study microbiology. That was super exciting. I like science. Where do I go with that? Getting into to the university, I didn't really know what you do with a microbiology PhD or uh, microbiology uh, undergraduate and undergraduate degree. Uh, but I, and I definitely didn't know that a PhD was a thing that people did. I, nobody in my family had a PhD. No one in my family had a doctorate. Um, and I ended up, I wanted to connect with people and I went to a microbiology student association little meeting. It was called MUSA at University of Iowa. Uh, and they were just talking about their research. There it was mostly juniors and seniors. I was a freshman and I was like, I want to hang out with these people. They talk about the stuff I want to, I, I click with them. We have a lot of stuff in common. And through that, I went to my first, uh, research conference. Um, it's a huge research conference. It was called, it's called ASM microbe. Um, and I was just like, wow, the world of microbiology, even though I've always been told it's this kind of subset of knowledge, it's some number of scientists, whatever, 
it's a huge number of people. It's a huge diversity and range of people who are studying a lot of very similar and, and intricate pieces of how our world works. So I got into research uh, as an undergrad and I, I was really fortunate um, that I didn't get into the lab that I was excited about. Uh, I, I actually didn't apply to places, but I was planning on applying to um, some of the labs that were doing like staph infections. I wanna do human health stuff that really, really matters and, and was directly applied. And I got an offer to work in a soil microbiology lab on a bacteria called Myxococcus xanthus um, with a professor named uh, John Kirby. And I was given so many opportunities to do my own research. Um, the work was focused on gene transcription regulation, like mass microbe communication. So how they work together as a multicellular unit, which was like, oh my gosh, what? How, how are they doing this? And just I just dove into all of what it meant to to be a bacterium and, and how they explore the world and what antibiotics were and um, really got to focus on a lot of those classes. And again, it was just like, oh, this is where, this is where my, my people are. This is where the people who I connect with, this is where they are right now. And they were all talking about going and doing a PhD. And I was like, wait, you can get, cause you get paid in the U S um, to get a PhD in microbiology. I was like, you can get paid to do research and just keep going to school? Is this real? Is this, oh my gosh, amazing. Um, I had a grad student I was working for at the time uh, and she and I are still really good friends, but she was like, it's a little different than that. And um, uh, of course I was like, well, I'm, I'm different too. <laughs> I'm special. It won't be that hard. Uh, so I applied to a bunch of grad programs. I just wanted to keep doing microbiology and seeing where that took me. Uh, and another big piece of it is I was like, I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of knowledge, but especially as a woman and especially in Iowa, it was like, oh, that's nice. I'm really, I'm good for you. Good for you. Having an opinion, like good for you going to college. Uh, and I wanted, I'm actually wearing my university of Iowa sweatshirt right now. Uh, I wanted people to not dismiss me. And I, I knew that having doctor in front of my name would make a really big difference. I was like, whatever I want to do, I don't know what I want to do yet, but having Dr. Harris is going to allow me to open a lot of doors. And I think this is a, a cool way for me to get that. Um, and so I went to grad school again, intending to like, let's switch over to human health. Let's do something that really matters to humans. And I ended up in a lab that looked at plant uh, microbe interactions and looking at how small molecules mediate microbiome um, kind of formation and, and the health of that and how it could affect how plants grow and what crops are produced, all these really, really cool things that tangentially are, are related to humans, but it was just like super cool science that I got really quickly disenfranchised with. I was really, once you dig into it, you're like, is this paper good? Are, are our hypotheses good? How is this research being done? Do I trust these data? Who is being rewarded for this? Like who is getting the grants? Are they getting the grants because they should have the grants because they're doing the best work or because they've done the best work 30 years ago and now they have a huge track record. I mean, I saw a paper get <laughs> expressed published in Science Magazine with the wrong figure included. Like it was reviewed with the wrong figure. The figure did not correspond to the legend. And it's like, there is no way that somebody who didn't have the name behind them would 
end up getting to a science publication with someone not actually reviewing the paper that closely. Uh, and so there was just a lot of times in my first couple of years, of my PhD, where I was like, what? do I even want to know how research is really being done? Do I really want to, to be in this? Um, and so that's how I got into science communication is one, I wanted to understand what we were telling people, but two, I, I had an opportunity to like, there was one of those, um, broader outreach things on a grant that I was supported by. And they were like, yeah, go do something with the planetarium. So I, I helped, um, I wrote the script for a planetarium to, to create this like virtual reality depiction of my thesis work, uh, of how microbes affect plant health and how maybe we could use microbes to help plants grow bigger without using fertilizer. Uh, and I was like, oh, wait, my science is really cool. This is really cool. This is really important. Uh, and so I, I got into science communication because I enjoyed it. And then knowing that I was really just that continuous iterative process of what do I like and what can I do with it next? And what's stopping me from getting to that next, that next point. Maybe it's like, I need to get doctor in front of my name to get to the point where I want to be, or I need to start, you know, adding other activities or I need to cut out activities, but it's all about what do I want to be doing? And, and can I do that? Um, and still, you know, eat, <laughs> still have enough money and bandwidth to be a human. Well, it depends on how big you can get your agricultural products to grow based off of the microbiome that you're introducing into their environment. That really <laughs> yeah, can solve I, a lot I of eating be... problems by doing that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to be sustained on Arabidopsis thaliana, <laughs> which was our was a little little grassy weed plant. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's true. Um, so tell me about PhD balance and, and yeah. tell me the story behind that. So, um, you know, kind of, you mentioned the, the story that I, I have up, um, it's on my website, it's on a couple different places. And it's me talking about, um, that at the end of my second year, beginning of my third year, I, I failed my written qualifying exam. And this was pretty devastating because, uh, like I was saying, the first couple of years, I started to be a little bit more disenfranchised about what it means, means to be a scientist, meant to be an academic. Um, and I, but I still held on to the fact that I was like, I am a really good student. I've always done a good job of being a student. Um, I write, I write well, I wrote and won the NSF GRFP grant, which is a, a prestigious grant. And I was like, okay, at least I can do this. Um, and the way that our written exam was set up was just brutal. Uh, and, and like so many things that I found in grad school, the only thing that like directly reflects it, I think was, was, um, like submitting my dissertation where it was just an exercise in futility for the sake of doing it. And because people said, oh, it's terrible, but you have to do it. And I think there's a lot of unchallenged um, kind of assumptions about that in grad school, uh, but wrote, wrote this document, turned it in and, and just barely failed. And um, I was, I was in good company. There were 11 of us who took the exam that year and five of us failed. So uh, I, I, it, shouldn't have necessarily been the indicator that I was a complete loss of a human. And, but it, it kind of that and other circumstances kicked off the worst bout of depression that I dealt with. Um, and I, I kind of had a, a vague history of mental illness 
before that, but it just like, I just got really deep into it. I ended up really, really isolated, really feeling bad about myself, feeling bad about my future, just felt like, what is, what is the point? Um, and I eventually got through that time through the end of my third year, I ended up, uh, I passed that the written exam, I passed the oral exam, I got the candidacy. Um, and then the next year in my fourth year, I, I read a paper that talked about, um, published in, uh, it was like an, uh, an op-ed sort of thing in nature biotechnology. So I actually came across my desk in February of 2018, saying that about 40% of graduate students at any given time were dealing with signs and symptoms of like real depression and anxiety, like depression and anxiety with the capital D and A of, of like mental illness levels. Um, and I was simultaneously really relieved. I was like, oh my gosh, I could have turned to people and said, I am really struggling to this extent. And not only would they say it's okay, but they would say like, yeah, I've done that too. Or like my partner has, or my lab mate. Um, but then I was also really, really frustrated because I found out that we knew all this stuff, but scientists weren't talking about it or, or rather biological scientists weren't. I only saw it because it was in nature biotech, but we've known for decades that graduate students are really struggling. And when I started talking about this, I heard from people, oh yeah, probably 50% of our grad students go on some sort of SSRI. I'm like, why did you tell me about the rec center in our you know, orientation? Why did you tell me about where to get the best bagels on campus? Why did you not tell me that there was like a 50% chance that I would need mental health intervention and, and reading this and, and also thinking about what I wanted to do with my communication work. I was just like, Hey, this, you know, this is something that I didn't know about. And so I assume other people didn't know about it and something that is, is true to me and it's my story. Um, and so could I create a space for people to share their stories and talk about these things and, and really put faces to these numbers? Because even knowing that, even, even if you said one in four, um, like challenge yourself next time you're in a conference hall or you're in a big group of people and really ask yourself, do you believe that one in four of those people are probably currently dealing with signs and symptoms of mental illness? Like, no, for me, at least I was like, oh, this room not this room, like this group of people is not that group of people. It's me, maybe one other person. Um, so I just created an Instagram page. It was called pH depression at the time that encouraged people. I, I started out, but encouraged people, um, to put up a picture of themselves, smiling, happy, however they would show themselves to friends, family, or at a conference and then share their story of having depression. It was just supposed to be, let's get together, maybe like a hundred ish people that, um, not even all of them sharing their stories, maybe like 20 people share their stories, but find a little community of people that I, I could connect with, find my people again. And it just exploded. People started sending messages saying, can I talk about anxiety? Can, can I talk about PTSD? Can I talk about abusive relationships with my advisor about dealing with racism and sexism and about quitting a PhD? Like, can I share my story? Uh, and I was like, yeah, of course, but yeah, let's do this. And so I, it just started growing and I couldn't anymore edit all the stories and do all the posting. And I started like asking a couple of people to, to volunteer and help me out with it. And, um, it started in March of, of 2018 by September of 2019, I had more than 10 volunteers and 
like internationally. Um, we had somebody in Australia and I was like, oh, this is maybe a liability. I want to make sure that everybody's protected. So I turned it into an LLC, a limited liability corporation company. And anyway, so it basically means that if anything should happen or if anything is posted and someone else um, finds that it is hurtful, uh, that liability will go onto the company and will go onto me, but won't necessarily like affect the volunteers unless it's something pretty egregious. So, and then I had a, a company and people expected me to do stuff with it. So over the last few years, I, I was founder, CEO, and now I'm the chairperson. And I just show up at, at monthly leadership meetings. It's really kind of, it, it's very similar to a student-led organization right now. And it is student-led, but we have faculty members, we have uh, ex-academics who, um, we have PhD students, master's students, um, who all work together to create online content, to host different kind of storytelling events, to do co-working spaces. We have a speaking team. My job is really just to keep the lights on and make sure the company stays in existence. I make sure we have a budget to, to pay for things in advance instead of making students do the whole thing where they have to get reimbursed three months later uh, and, and dealing with stuff where the name Dr. Harris comes in handy where sometimes I, I do get the fun phone calls um, of people saying like, I don't, I don't think we should have to pay this much for a speaker. I'm like, absolutely understand. We can cancel the event. And they're like, Oh no, no, that's, I'm just thinking it should be cheaper. I'm like, of course, like, I, I get that. And I know that budgets are tight and um, there's a lot of great people out there who will do it for cheaper, but this is how much we pay our students to, to allow them to speak. Uh, and so it's a surprising use of, of the name doctor, but um, it does garner respect in these spaces. And I do get to use it in ways that hopefully protect and, and support other students uh, in, in their own growth. Yeah, really cool. And one of the, the beautiful things about your story, I guess you could say, and the way it seems like you're conceptualizing your stuff now is you have this line that communication builds community. And it seems it's sort of a refrain of your of your work and of your you know uh, content these days, and I really like that because I think it makes connection between some of the things that you're talking about here because certainly one of the things that contributes to mental health issues in graduate students is the isolation and mm-hmm. um, whether or not it is actual isolation like you know if there are five other people who also failed their qualifying exam out of 11. Um, It's certainly the circumstances of graduate school contrive to make you feel like you're alone and Mm -hmm. um, that you are the only one responsible for your outcomes and your processes and that sort of stuff. And that you, uh, uh, your identity is tied up in what you know and what you can produce, which is uh, of course, never as good as what everyone else can. So there's all these things. And so I think the, combination of you know uh using your um your expertise um and your sort of inclination and you know skills in scientific communication for the ultimate um you know sort of purpose of building community um as well as a number of other important things along the way seems to really bring together nicely a lot of the stuff that you've cared about and developed um, you know, skills in and all that sort of stuff. So very cool to see. Yeah. It's, it's just a lot of fun. I think it was one of the more fulfilling things that I did 
in, in my PhD. And it was also the main thing that people told me to not do. Right. Um, and uh, sometimes it was, Hey, is it gonna, is it gonna hurt your chances of getting a job or, or are people going to think differently of you if you talk about your mental illness? And yeah, absolutely. Like stigma, the, the, the stigma against mental illness and the thing that people don't necessarily think about stigma, stigma is not just the fear or the misunderstanding of something, but it's the word stigma actually includes the threat of a negative reaction because of it. So when we say there's a stigma against mental health or mental illness, um, what we're saying is not people might feel uncomfortable, people might not like it. What we're actually saying is that the discomfort that people feel about those things, the misunderstandings they have can actually negatively affect the person who is being stigmatized. Um, and uh, like, there were a few instances where I, I got to see some emails that people did not know I was going to see. Um, and I, I got to hear about some things that were said that people did not think were going to be told to me. And rather than being discouraging, rather than me feeling like, oh my gosh, I mean, a, a, a journal of a society that I really looked up to um, solicited, one person solicited uh, for me to write uh, a couple stories about graduate student mental health and illness and what the status was. And um, I got to see the emails back that I'm sure they did not know I was going to see. And these were esteemed professors who were like the top of my field, the very, the field I was working in um, saying, well, if we're going to talk, if there was one that was, if we're going to talk about grad student mental illness, we should talk about everybody. And in that case, it's just sort of a bummer. Is this really appropriate? Um, the one that threw me real hard was if we're going to share a story about someone who literally, if we're going to share a story about someone who is dealing with depression in their PhD, shouldn't we have a story right next to it about somebody who is really excited about science? And like at the time that hurt at the time, it made me sad at the time it called up a lot of the, um, the insecurities that I had about, about who I was and how I was feeling. And maybe like, oh, maybe I'm just not supposed to do science because I'm not excited. And then I was, the, the older I get, the more pissed I get at that. <laughs> um, and, and luckily what ended up happening is instead, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to write your article about exactly the status and, and just sort of here's the numbers and here's the fun things. And I wrote an article called Dear Advisor, It's Not Just a Bad Day and um, directly addressed the points that were made in the email. I don't think the people knew, I'm sure they didn't read it, but um, it, it turned, I, I, it's one of my favorite articles that I've gotten to write because it sort of, it just talks about like, yeah, it's not just that people don't like science anymore. In fact, you can absolutely love science and have depression and you can love a lot of things and have depression. And because of the depression, you don't love that thing anymore. It doesn't give you those good feelings. Uh, so that, that's just an anecdote of like, as I went along, the more people kind of discouraged me, the reasons that they were using to discourage me fell flat of what if this hurts where you're going? What if this, um, you know, is this the best use of your time? And I was just like, yeah, this is what I want to be doing. Uh, this is, this is good. This is something that compared to some of the science that I've seen done, is true, is impactful, is important, and I can do it at the same time that I'm achieving my other goals. Yeah, really uh, incredible, incredible stuff. Thank you for sharing all that. 
so I want to ask about your dogs. When yeah. <laughs> when did you know that you wanted uh, dogs, and when did you end up finally getting them? Yeah, um, so I grew up with pets. I had a cat um, that I had for a really long time, and then we had a couple dogs. I never really anticipated getting dogs in grad school. Um, mm. I would not recommend. Well, I might recommend getting dogs in grad school if, if you can do it and if it's something you want and you're like, I have the financial, the physical, the time to like all these different resources to take care of an animal. Cool. Be honest with yourself because this is a huge responsibility. Um, but uh, it was sort of a definitely sort of an impulse thing. I, I kind of been glancing at it and then I was on Facebook uh, and someone had posted on the Facebook free and for sale page that they had found two puppies that, that um, just kind of came up to their, they were at a trailer park and came up to their property and tried to eat their pit bulls food. Um, And they said like, I have a bunch of pets already. Otherwise I would take these two in. They're super small. Um, I tried to get all the fleas and ticks off of them and I'll give them to anybody who will take both of them because it was in an area that dog fighting is really common. So they didn't want to take these two dogs to, to the pound. Um, I was like, those are my dogs. I'm going to go get those dogs. I can do I checked my bank account. I kind of thought about my time. Um, it was in the fourth year of, of my PhD and I was still doing a lot of research, but I had a lot more flexibility with when I would go in. It's like, I'm already doing evenings and weekends more. So, you know, like, how can I, how can I manage this? Um, and I went and picked up two, uh, turned out to be like eight week old puppies. They're about five pounds each. Uh, and it was like, I call it the best, worst decision of my life. <laughs> Terrible. Don't do not, uh, do not That's adopt two puppies in grad school. Uh, but it gave me a lot of, it gave me a lot of purpose. It helped me in a lot of ways, even just taking care of myself, because when I had a hard time getting up in the morning, I was like, I don't really want to get up and eat breakfast. I'll just sleep. It was like, that's too bad. Yeah, they, that's that's they not your decision anymore. Yeah. And, and it just became something where I, when I've had times where I haven't wanted to take care of myself, it's like, would you treat your dogs this way? Would you ever look at your dogs and think, Hmm, they might be better if they lost a few pounds. Like that would be bizarre. Um, no, don't do that. Or like, I know they're exhausted, but they shouldn't be. So they should just stay awake. Like, no, what if it's, that's like, why you would never hopefully treat your dogs in the way that we treat ourselves a lot. And oftentimes in grad school. Uh, so they, they gave me a little bit of perspective, um, and, and gave me some of that permission to be like, sorry, I have to, I have to leave at five. I can do some work at home, but I got to get home and feed my dogs. And it's like, why don't we do that for ourselves? Why don't we tell students go home, feed yourself? <laughs> uh, why don't we just allow people to say, I have to go home and feed myself. Like there's free pizza left over from the lunch seminar. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, um, so they're great. They're about, they, I got 10 X dogs, meaning that they, they went from five pounds to about 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're probably a little smaller. They're Hermes and Athena. Um, yeah, the, it was actually because it's hard to find boy girl names that aren't romantically inclined, but I wanted them to be kind of cute. And, um, they're great. Athena is a little bit more shy and quiet, uh, but is just a sweetheart. And then Hermes is a, just like, doesn't, he's a perpetually a teenager. He just like, doesn't know where his limbs are. Um, super needy and snuggly uh, and 
they've they've been absolutely like the loves of my life yeah we um my partner and i uh we call the morning effect that you're talking about puppy alarm clock uh mm. so you no longer you no longer in charge of when you're you're getting up someone else making the decision for you yeah you know, my um partner she always knew that she wanted to come to graduate school and get a dog that was part of her incentive to come to graduate school was like look I'll be in the same place for a while and then we'll get a puppy and so uh yeah we got a dog uh around this time last year her name is Zora Zora what kind of dog is she she's a um she's a poodle mix she's a Cavapuchin so half poodle um quarter Cavalier King Charles and quarter Bichon Frisette Oh, very um, yep. fancy. Yeah. That's so cool. Is she cute? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so let's see. So uh, to-do lists. Tell me about how you use to-do lists. Ooh. Yes. I'm glad you asked this question because um, given the work that I've been trying to do over the last couple of months of getting my entire life in order, um, I started using this program called Asana, A-S-A-N-A. Mm. Uh, I think it was something that I checked out a couple years ago or, or sometime early in grad school. And I was like, this is not the right tool. Checked it out again recently. And I love this thing so much. Uh, it's, it's basically like a way to track my to-do list and organize and it reorganizes itself. I can go in and click and say like, Hey, actually I want to do it this day. Or I can say, for instance, um, I have to write a recommendation letter for, um, a, a friend and, I am like, okay, the recommendation needs to be in by Friday, but I need to have the draft done by Wednesday. And so I can put a task and a subtask and it will remind me and I can set up recurring tasks. Uh, and, and so for me, I, I've tried a lot of different iteration of to-do lists. I've Do done you the bullet paper journal. before? Paper. Uh, like, I like you know, the thing that's like physically exists. Oh, and, and then like, like actual, not... I was like, Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> uh, yikes. Uh, Comes yeah, no, no, I, yeah. I did, uh, I did what's called bullet journaling through, um, I started at in the beginning of my third year of my PhD and I did that all the way through. Um, and it's bullet journaling is really, is really fun. Uh, people, people get really creative. I'm not very artistic and, and like, yeah, my handwriting's not pretty, but it's a combination of you write little tasks. There's certain shapes that tell you what the task is. You can do kind of like free form of what you want your, your schedule to look like. There's a lot of really cool online tutorials about how to make things neat. And also it's a space to kind of jot down ideas. Um, I love that for all of grad school, but then now because I have so many different pieces of things. So I work at Zontogeny, um, and I'm the manager of engagement communications for, for Zontogeny, uh, which is a seed stage biotech accelerator, basically help little tiny biotech companies become slightly less tiny biotech companies, getting them ready to, to take their technology into human clinical trials. Um, and then I also do that work partially for the venture fund that we're associated with. And I do the marketing work with our portfolio companies, helping them figure out their strategies, their communications, PR. I still run PhD balance. I have a couple different side activities and then regular day-to-day stuff. Um, and so that I was just getting to the point where my journal was like very overwhelming. And so this Asana thing allows it, it I can categorize it by, by project. I can categorize it by priority. 
Um, and I can also categorize by, by the date. And so it's constantly moving things up and it's like, Hey, here's all your, all the things in green. This is your to-do list today. Don't worry. You have remembered everything else, but you've already decided you don't have to write that letter until Wednesday. So don't keep thinking about it every single day. Uh, and it's, it's been really awesome. So I'm not, I'm not sponsored by them. I also only use the free account, yeah. but I uh, highly recommend. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So I guess, um, yeah, I, I don't use to-do list myself because I, I, so I feel like when you're, when you are trying to organize your, your work productivity, you can do it mm-hmm. in one of two ways. One is by task, which saying, here's mm-hmm. what I need to get done. And here's approximately when I think I'm going to do it and the approximate order in which I, I plan to do it. Um, and so that's, you know, what the to-do list thing allows you to do with the, uh, uh, what I do is uh, mine is all about time spent on something. So Mm. I don't say exactly what I'm going to get done. I just say how much time I have to dedicate to this one particular, uh, thing. And I also keep track of how much time I do in fact dedicate to this one particular thing. Um, Very nice. What do you, I, I did that at the end of my PhD. I used toggle. What do you use anything? Or are you just like, I have this whole elaborate Google mm-hmm. calendar scheme, um, oh. where I have two different calendars that I'm, um, up that I update throughout today, out through the, throughout the day. One is called mm-hmm. planned and one is called actual. And so every Ooh. morning I sit down and I create my planned schedule. So I'll have, you know, some social events in a, you know, different color, uh, there, uh, or like, you know, whatever, whatever, if they've got some video calls or podcasts, those are all sort of, they've got their own color and those, you know, don't really get moved or anything. But then I sit down and say, okay, well, here's my, my planned schedule for today. I'm going to spend first 30 minutes doing this. And then I'm going to do a, you know, two and a half hour block working on uh, PhD stuff. And then I'm going to do a, a three hour block working on writing stuff and then, yeah. uh, whatever it is. And so that's, um, how I, uh, um, um, done things because I just feel I, I, I got to feeling for a while two things uh, one is that there was I was so bad at forecasting how long it was going to take to do things and therefore uh, it just didn't make sense to organize what I was planning to do today based on what I thought I was going to get done because I didn't know how long mm-hmm. it was going to take me to do it well and then the other thing was that with between you know the projects that I've been working on mainly for the last couple of years, between research and you know writing slash podcasting stuff, it's like well, you know, with those you want to get into a sort of you know deep work kind of like okay mm. I want to block something and uh, you know sort of uh, what what some people call maker's schedule rather than manager's schedule. So manager's Ooh. schedule being sort of like hour long, you know, okay, here's my boom, 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 which is really good for some things. And if you run a lab, for instance, that's, you know, the how you're going to be spending your, your time. But then if you're making stuff, uh, mm-hmm. podcasts, research, that sort of stuff, you just need big blocks. And so it was better for me to schedule the big blocks rather than to say exactly what I was going to do during them. I love um, it. That's, I mean, and, and I, I think it's really cool to just highlight that different things work for different yeah. people. And there's, there's chunks of my tasks that are like every Monday through Friday, I have one of my tasks is spend 30 minutes on emails. It's not on, on my professional emails. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's not enough to, time to get through it, but it's enough time to stay on top of it. And right. if I said like empty it, that would be a disaster but um that's that's i have never heard the managers versus makers and and that is so like that's just a really lovely way to put it because it's not one's not better than the other and i think everybody works really differently and so 
yeah, it's cool that you've, you've kind of found that for yourself. Yeah. Did you find it in your PhD or have you kind of known that for a while? When did I start doing it? It's like, it like my devotion to this calendar scheme is almost pathological. It almost like, yeah. you know, uh, uh, but it's like, it's like a daily ritual. It's like, it's yeah. just, it, that was the thing. Cause that was the thing that, um, I think, you know, I certainly struggle with, I think a lot of people struggle with is that the PhD is the ultimate unstructured endeavor, especially when like me, you're doing what is effectively a remote PhD. Um, Mm -hmm. since, you know, uh, all of my psychology research can be done online and for, you know, the last two years have been no in-person stuff. So it's essentially just an online PhD. Uh, (laughs) but anyway, so it's just, you know, your time is whatever. And your DEX deadline is two years from now. And so, uh, you know, uh, that was the way that I found most effective to um, uh, uh, sort of structure that, to solve that problem. So I think I um, uh, really started to sort of like get in the habit of doing that during graduate school. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. So uh, we're coming up at the end here. I want to be respectful of your time. And so uh, I want to ask you, what are, what are three books that have impacted you, influenced the way you've thought, changed you in some way? Like we were talking about earlier, what are the books where the, uh, the, that novel idea, you know, comes to you and you're like, whoa, yeah, that's total. Oh man, that's it. Um, do you have something for me there? I do. I'm glad this is, this is the one thing you prepared me for. And I'm glad that you did. Uh, because I, I know, I knew exactly the books I wanted, but I was like, Oh, I have to like look them up because I can never remember the, the authors. Um, so in, let's see, first off, um, book Ted talks, uh, it's by Chris Anderson, the person who actually created, um, the, he's the curator of Ted. So, uh, Ted talks, it's the official Ted guide to public speaking. And it's really, it's about how to create a story that people remember, how to communicate at a level that is appropriate for your audience, whoever your audience is, how to think about what you're creating, how to be really intentional and not thinking about like, what do I want to talk about, but rather, what do I want them to learn? What do I want them to hear? It's not, what do I speak, but what did they take in? Um, And it talks about everything from like the actual story synthesis, choosing a topic to making the talk to, to practicing, to presentation. So I really, this has been really nice in, in terms of kind of guiding and grounding me when I feel like, what am I even talking about? What am I doing with this presentation? Whether it's talking about mental health or talking about creating, you know, personal branding in grad school, which is something I get to do a lot. Um, so the next one is called Don't Shoot the Dog, The New Art of Teaching and Training by Karen Pryor. Um, she's a, a really famous dog trainer, but I, I read this because of dog training. Um, it's actually been hugely helpful in terms of thinking about any sort of like operant conditioning, um, which very much applies to people, how people think and how, like you're saying, the habits really um really set where we go of like, if you're going to teach a dog uh, a set of tricks, if you're like, I want to wave my hand to the right and the dog is going to spin around three times, sit down and then show its belly, um, creating a, a stepwise structure of that, of like show belly and then go back from that. And then you're teaching them to sit down and show belly and then working backwards, thinking about that on a human perspective or thinking about how if you're trying to teach yourself, there's an anecdote about someone who was trying to work on their tennis swing. And after every single time they missed, they said, 
oh, I'm so frustrated. I'm doing terribly. Um, and that from a psychology standpoint, that does not help at all. That does not make you better at tennis. And instead, when you hit one that's slightly better than the one before, be like, wow, good job, self, good job, self. And you actually do better. So it's, it's changed how I think about, um, I basically just kind of use it to train myself of thinking like, why am I not getting this thing done? Why do I not want to wake up in the morning? How can I do this thing that I don't want to do? Can I put it into a set of habits? Can I train myself to like, Ooh, I really want to go get a cup of coffee. But by the way, if you're going to get coffee halfway through this process, you're going to put away the dishes and then you get your coffee. Um, so I basically do dog training on myself. And, um, and then lastly, uh, this was a huge turning point for me in grad school was reading this book. It's called the defining decade, why your twenties matter and how to make the most of them now by Meg Jay, who is a, a psychiatrist or no, she's a psychologist focusing on, um, people in their twenties. And it's all about, um, making, uh, taking the, the, the twenties, these years where you feel, um, kind of simultaneously that you're supposed to be relaxing and also that you're supposed to be preparing for the rest of your life, that you're supposed to be open to any opportunities, but also you should only take the best opportunities. Um, should I be enjoying my friends and family or should I get this thing done? And it's, it's about intentionally looking at um, kind of, are you building what she calls social capital? Are you building who you are? Are you growing in the ways that you want to be doing? Are you setting yourself up for success? Um, and, and just accepting that it's a really important decade of your life where you don't need to know everything, but you do want to be thinking about everything that you're currently doing. So those are probably the biggest shapers of my life. Um, and I, I don't read the defining decade as much anymore. I'm 29. I think it's still appropriate for people in their thirties, but uh, read that a couple times. And then I regularly go back and reskim, don't shoot the dog and Ted talks whenever I, I want to rethink what I'm doing and be a little bit more intentional. Really cool. That's a great collection. Um, awesome. Well, uh, Susanna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's been a really, uh, this has been awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I had a really great time and good luck in, in your last year and in, in the writing process. Um, it's really nice on the other side. Strongly recommend graduating. It's, it's good to get out. <laughs> I'll do my best. That was my conversation with Susanna Harris. I hope you enjoyed it. And I really recommend giving Susanna a follow on, a follow on social media. So you can check her out on her website, SusannaLHarris.com. Instagram, which you for sure should follow her on. Uh, that's also at Susanna L. Harris. And then Twitter, Susanna L. Harris. Um, if you want to keep updated on my projects, which I mentioned at the top of the show, and then I have you know some new stuff coming out, you can keep an eye on that. Um, the best way to do so is by following my newsletter. That's codycommerce.substack.com. That's where the sort of hub of everything will, will come from as well as this show. And uh, if you want to follow me on my socials, that's at Cody Commerce at both Twitter and Instagram. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll be back here next week with another episode of Cognitive Revolution. <laughs>